0: Welcome to A History of Europe, Key Battles, The Battle of Zama, 202 BC, Part 2 of 2. At the end of last week's podcast, Hannibal was wreaking havoc in the Italian peninsula, which encouraged several revolts against Roman rule in its territories. Most states in this position would try and negotiate peace, but because of the nature of the Romans, and thanks to the continued support of her allies, Rome did nothing of the sort. Hannibal's offers to talks were rebuffed, and instead more recruits were brought into the army and sent to deal with each situation. In Sardinia they got a stroke of luck, when a Carthaginian naval force sent to the island ran into a violent storm. The ships had to be repaired, and by the time they got to Sardinia, the Romans had been alerted and reinforced the island with a second legion, quickly suppressing the the revolt. In Sicily, the Romans made a surprise attack on Syracuse while the city was celebrating a religious festival. They scaled the outer walls under cover of darkness to open the city gates, allowing the Romans to swarm in and massacre the population, including the famous scientist Archimedes the Carthaginians did make strenuous efforts to recover Sicily, bringing in 40,000 men over the next three years, but all in vain due to poor military leadership. At the same time, Rome fought a scrappy and exhausting campaign against Macedonia. But Philip of Macedonia's resources were diverted by hostile attacks from his east, and so he was not able to deliver a knockout punch and remove Rome from Illyria. Meanwhile in Italy Hannibal, unable to persuade the north to revolt, travelled to the south of the peninsula to the recently subjugated Greeks and Samnites. On his way he was shadowed by Roman legions, harried but not directly confronted. He made his winter quarters in Capua, but after a long siege the city was taken by the Romans in 211 BC and severely punished, much of its population sold into slavery. The fortunes of Hannibal ebbed and flowed over the years, until 208, when the important city of Tarentum, on the heel of Italy, was recaptured by the Romans. At the same time, Hannibal's brother, Hasdrubal, marched from Spain to Italy, but was unable to link up, and was annihilated by a Roman force at the Battle of Metaurus. As the years went on, however, Hannibal found his supply lines more and more difficult to maintain, and he failed in his diplomatic efforts to bring enough Italian tribes to his side to break Rome's resistance. Spain also saw heavy fighting between the Romans and Carthaginians. The general Publius Cornelius Scipio led a Roman force to take control of the region, and was initially successful, but in 2.11 was killed in battle. His replacement, assigned by the Senate, was his son, Scipio Africanus. Born in 235 BC, in normal situations he would have been considered too young to be given such an assignment, but the 23-year-old had already earned a reputation for bravery and ability in battle, including rescuing his father in the Battle of Ticinus. The Roman army that had been besieging Capua was now freed up and so were sent to Spain and helped Scipio regain the initiative. In 210 BC, they laid siege to the capital of Carthaginian Spain, New Carthage. Scipio learnt from some fishermen that at ebb tide it was possible to ford one of the lagoons and approach the city from the rear. So Scipio led a 500-strong contingent across the lagoon while the main force was diverting Carthaginian attention on the other side of the city. The city was secured, plundered, and most of its citizens massacred, although Polybius relates that Scipio took nothing from the city for himself. The Carthaginian response was hindered by their lack of unity. In 206 BC, Scipio ended the war and forced remaining Carthaginian forces off the peninsula. The decisive event in Spain was the Battle of Elipa, here Scipio, inspired by the tactical skills of Hannibal, devised an excellent tactical plan himself. In essence two separate forces within the battle formation together made a pincer movement on the weaker Iberian soldiers of the enemy. They were routed, breaking up the Carthaginian formation. His work done in Spain, Scipio returned to Rome, where he was unanimously elected consul and proposed to end the war by invading Africa and taking the war to the city of Carthage. At first the Senators refused, believing such an attack to be too risky, but eventually Scipio and his followers persuaded enough of them for a vote of confidence to be passed. Though the Senate did not authorise him to raise a new army at the Republic's expense, Scipio, fortunately for him, had available in Sicily the veterans of the two legions who had survived the Cannae disaster, who were determined to redeem themselves. So in 205 BC, the Romans took the initiative in the war, and launched an invasion fleet for Africa to attack the city of Carthage directly. He enlisted the support of the exiled Numidian king, Massanissa, and so gained the help of their cavalry. Masinissa had previously fought Scipio in Spain, but now driven from his kingdom, in a dynastic dispute, decided to throw in his lot with the invader. Scipio's first objective was to capture the strategic coastal town of Utica, but it was well fortified and Scipio found himself threatened by the combined army of 33,000 Carthaginians and several tens of thousands of Numidian soldiers, led by a regional leader, Syphax. So after 40 days of siege, he withdrew, and since it was now late autumn, set up winter camp on a headland a little further along the coast. Besieged themselves now by the allied Carthaginians and Numidians, who were quartered about a dozen kilometres away, the Romans were dependent for provisions on what could reach them by sea. But Scipio was resolved to break out by making a surprise attack. One night, early next spring, he sent half his force to set alight the camp of Syphax. Once ablaze, he led the other half to attack the Carthaginian camp. The operation succeeded beyond all hopes, and both enemy armies were destroyed. Polybius reckons this act of war was the finest and most daring of all Scipios. In fact, with almost no losses to his own ranks, he had re-established the balance of forces in his favour and created the conditions for a victorious offensive. What's more, he backed this victory up with two further victories against the enemy in 203. In the second of these, Syphax was captured and the threat of his people neutralised. These events brought about a change of heart in Carthage. The big landowners and wealthy merchants had always been keen to avoid war with Rome, to protect their territorial and commercial interests in Africa. So they ousted Hannibal's family's faction and offered peace to the Romans. Scipio offered quite reasonable terms. His main demands were that Carthage give up all interest in Spain and the Mediterranean islands, pay a substantial indemnity and limit themselves in future to just 20 warships. Rendering Carthage's navy harmless this way was an outcome that would have been unhoped for not long before. Scipio also took into consideration the risks involved in attempting any attack on the heavily fortified city of Carthage. The Carthaginian Senate, realising the terms could have been harsher, accepted. They recalled Hannibal from Italy and instructed him to return to Africa the great Carthaginian general was bitterly disappointed. Hannibal's reaction is described by Livy as follows, Seldom, we are told, has any exile left his native land with so heavy a heart as Hannibal's when he left the country of his enemies. Again and again he looked back at the shores of Italy, accusing gods and men, and calling down curses on his own head for not having led his armies straight to Rome, when they were still bloody from the victorious fields of Cannae. End quote. And so in autumn 203 he set foot on the shores of Africa, a land he had left while still a child, and which had become quite alien to him. He set up camp some distance from his mother city, in part out of mistrust of the Carthaginian senators, in part to give himself freedom to manoeuvre. The truce was broken after only a few months. Some Roman ships became shipwrecked on the Carthaginian coastline and were seized by locals. Furious, Scipio demanded their return, but the Carthaginian leaders refused, and so resumption of hostilities became inevitable. The decades long struggle for the supremacy of the Mediterranean culminated on the 19th of October 202 BC in the Battle of Zama. The exact site of the battle is not known, but it was perhaps about 100 miles southwest of the city of Carthage. Before the battle, the two great leaders met to discuss if a settlement could be negotiated. Hannibal tried to intimidate his foe, who was some dozen years younger. He proposed Carthage give up Sicily, Sardinia, Spain, and the islands between Africa and Italy. But his was a less heavy price than agreed previously, and Scipio refused. At Zama, Scipio was able to line up around 6,000 cavalry and 23,000 Roman infantry. He was joined by one of the Numidian kings, Massinissa, who brought with him a contingent of 6,000 soldiers. Across the battlefield, Hannibal commanded a greater number of infantry, around 36,000, arranged in three lines. In the first line were mercenaries, then Libyans in the second, and then his faithful veterans in the third. His cavalry at 4,000 was smaller and less able than his enemies, preventing him from being able to undertake the kind of enveloping movements that had proved so deadly at Cannae and elsewhere. He did though have the advantage of 80 war elephants at his disposal. The initial skirmishes were between the horsemen of each side. Hannibal then let loose the elephants to charge down the Romans. But according to Polybius, quote, as they heard the horns and trumpets braying all round them, some of the elephants became unmanageable and rushed back upon the Numidian contingents of the Carthaginian army, and this enabled Massinissa with great speed, to deprive the Carthaginian left wing of its cavalry support. End quote. In addition, Scipio, in anticipation of the elephants, had organised corridors within his formation through which the remaining elephants harmlessly ran through. Similarly, the Carthaginian first line of infantry did not live up to the plans of their leader. They soon crumbled, and Hannibal's second line had to step in amid much confusion. But the second line proved equally ineffective, and went in retreat Hannibal did not allow them to mingle with his old guard. He ordered his veterans to push forward to directly take on the Romans. The two armies were by now both reduced to a single line of the same length. From here Hannibal's veterans still might have won the day, but the Roman and their allied cavalry had routed their opposite numbers and wheeled round to attack them from the rear. As Livy describes, quote, Many Carthaginians were cut down where they stood many were scattered in flight over the open plain only to fall everywhere beneath the cavalry the undisputed masters of the field more than twenty thousand of the carthaginians and their allies were killed on that day and about the same number captured the romans lost about 1500 men in the confusion hannibal escaped with a few horsemen and fled at the end of the day It was the superior quality and staying power of the Roman soldiers and Numidian cavalry that had won the day, not any particular battle tactic. The Roman terms were now harsher than before. The amount of indemnity increased, the number of warships allowed was halved, and large tracts of Carthaginian land were given over to Rome's new Numidian allies. According to Polybius, it was Hannibal who persuaded the Carthaginians to accept the deal further resistance would only make things worse. Carthage was never to be the force it had been before. Surprisingly, though, despite this heavy penalty, after a few years the city was once more trading successfully and beginning to financially prosper. Hannibal, the story goes, was hoping to achieve this by reducing corruption and good management. However, this once more attracted the attention of the Romans. Fearing a Carthaginian resurgent, Seven years after the Battle of Zama, they demanded Hannibal be turned over to them as a war criminal. To avoid another war, Hannibal voluntarily went into exile, but he was pursued relentlessly by the Romans, and in 182 or 183 BC, cornered and determined not to fall into his enemy's hands, he took his own life, so preventing the Romans getting their hands on their most hated, if begrudgingly admired, enemy. Scipio, his great adversary, also died about this time, having retired from public life for the last years of his life. The Carthaginians, weighed down by the immense indemnities they had to pay Rome, were never again able to challenge Rome. They enjoyed a very modest recovery in the following decades, but the hawks in Rome were determined to finish them off. With no provocation or reasonable justification, Rome sent a force to besiege the Carthaginian capital again in 149 BC. The Carthaginians, now fighting for their very survival, bravely held out for three years. But ultimately the Romans broke through and razed the city to the ground, so leaving us such little archaeological evidence today. All Carthaginian lands now fell under the control of this enemy, and in the very same year, 146 BC, the Romans also decisively beat the Greeks in the Battle of Corinth. The Romans had become undisputed masters of the Mediterranean, and on their way towards building a mighty empire. The Phoenician race, on the other hand, had been violently exterminated, leaving no really discernible heritage. Why had Rome won? In part, because military service there formed a part of every citizen's upbringing – Politicians were expected to fight bravely on the battlefield to achieve high position. Carthage, meanwhile, was run more like a company with the focus on making a profit. To this end, war was costly and the last thing they wanted. And so, when Rome attacked at the beginning of the First Punic War, the Carthaginians lacked the military infrastructure to defend themselves. In addition, The Carthaginian leadership was divided between those wishing to preserve their overseas interests by opposing Rome, and those wanting to compromise in order to expand their African possessions. Their policies therefore vacillated, depending on which faction was on top at any one time. Another advantage Rome enjoyed was her considerable steadfastness in adversity. Even after the disaster at Cannae, she grimly refused to admit the possibility of defeat and rejected all overtures for peace. The principal reason, I believe, though, for Roman success was their ability to make people feel part of the state rather than an oppressed minority. Hannibal's plan to cause rebellion failed because the people of the Italian peninsula felt enough loyalty to Rome to continue fighting for her, and not make a break for independence. It was mostly only the recently conquered Gauls and Illyrians who sided with Carthage. Hannibal had the genius and personal charisma to keep together an army of different peoples through years of hard campaigning, but generally Carthage was unable to instill a great sense of loyalty within their possessions. Hence the rebellions they suffered after the First Punic War and the siding of King Masinissa with Scipio at the Battle of Zama. The Battle of Zama was the culmination of the first two Punic Wars. Even before, it was clear that Rome had the upper hand. Had Hannibal defeated Scipio there, the Carthaginians would have been able to at least get a much more favourable peace treaty, and perhaps retain control of North Africa. But Hannibal's forces lacked the quality to carry out the manoeuvres that had brought victories at Trebia, Trasimene and Cannae, and Scipio had learnt well how to counter them in any case. Earlier in the war, though, Rome had come close to losing everything. The result could have been very different if Hannibal had decided to directly attack the city of Rome after his victory at Cannae, or if sections of the Italian peninsula had decided to break free from Rome instead after zama rome was the undisputed power of the mediterranean and she still enjoyed strong momentum towards further expansion over the next one and a half centuries the romans extended power into europe africa and asia she seemed unstoppable but in the next podcast i will describe the battle which put a stop to her expansion within europe in A.D. nine, in the depths of the central european forests rome confronted a group of germanic tribes who were determined to resist. Join me next time for the Battle of Tüteborg Forest. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes or visit our website www.historyeurope.net Thank you for listening.